Hello, how's it going, folks? You're very welcome to another episode of See You at Yours with myself, Matt McGinn. I'm proud to say it is brought to you by the wonderful people at Hannah Hats of Donegal. Hannah Hats have been making hats for about 100 years up in Donegal. It's a family tradition. They are incredible at it. They use the best of quality materials, threads, linens. Go and check them out. They have hats of all shapes and sizes and wonderful traditional caps, newer sort of uh, takes on them. Go and check them out at hannahats.com and find a hat that you will treasure for the rest of your life. This episode is featuring one of the finest singer-songwriters, female singer-songwriters and singer-songwriters in general that Ireland has produced. She's unique. Uh, Her name is Wallace Bird. If you haven't checked out her music, you have to go and do it. And also, if you haven't seen her live, you have to go and do that too, as soon as we're all back to normality. She's incredible. We had a lovely conversation. Um, Normally I like to go to people's homes or somewhere where they're comfortable and sit and have a a proper chat. We're, We're not able to do that these days, but we were able to get a lovely scenario uh, online and some lovely audio captured where we really had a good night's crack. I actually had to edit out an awful lot of it because uh, we sat and chatted for hours. But just before I play that interview, a couple of things. Firstly, being cocoons, I know an awful lot of you are enjoying our little online music session that we have every Saturday evening through Facebook, through the group cocoons. Um, but I know an awful lot more of you would enjoy it, so please get out there and spread the word. If you don't know about it, it's myself and Cormac Neeson, a good friend of mine. We basically have some of the world's finest singer-songwriters and artists and musicians uh, joining us live for uh, an in-the-round session, in-the-round sort of taken from the, the Nashville Bluebird style where four or five artists would be in the one room. They all sing a song and maybe pass on to the next person so we do that but we do it in a group called cocoons on facebook live and we do it every saturday evening except for friday week where we are doing it especially for mencap who are an incredible charity based in the uk but they have a very strong presence here in in the north of ireland as well and the guests there are incredible that we have we have jesse stewart uh, ryan mcmullen and duke special and amy montgomery will be joining myself and Cormac for an incredible gig. That will be on May the 8th, which is a Friday. So we're just uh, taking a little bit of leave off the Saturday just for that one gig. But join the group and you will be notified with a bit of luck about any of the gigs that are coming up. And also, don't forget to sign up with the mailing list, www.mattmcginnmusic.com to receive your link to uh, the latest uh, EP, which you can get for free at Live at the Atlantic Sessions. It was an incredible night at the Port Rush Town Hall. The band were absolutely on fire. And uh, I've picked a couple of the songs and put it on an EP, which you can give for free. Sign up to the mailing list. It's all yours. And feel free to get in touch, folks. Info at mattmcginnmusic.com. Maybe there's somebody you'd like to hear in the podcast or somebody you'd recommend for cocoons um, or something you just want maybe want to have a bit of crack. So do that. Jump in and uh, let me know how you're getting on especially in these strange times and speaking of strange times this weekend would have seen me playing the Cathedral Quarter Arts Festival in Belfast at the Black Box and it really was setting itself up to be an absolutely wonderful gig with the guests that were confirmed the band and everything so many thanks to everybody who bought tickets for that I know that there were loads of tickets sold for it now 
the gig has been rescheduled for January. Cathedral Quarter Arts Festival are going to be uh, morphing it into their Out to Lunch Festival, which normally runs in January. So for any of you who are prepared to hold on for that, thank you so much. That is fantastic. It also helps the Cathedral Quarter Arts Festival that people aren't straight away asking for, for money back, I'm sure, because festivals are bound to be finding it tough. So many thanks to all of you who supported that. I would love to be there. It's not going to happen just yet for obvious reasons, but with a bit of luck, January 2021, we're going to be all back to normal. But for now, I will hand you over to the incredible Wallace Bird. Go and check out her music, and I will see you at the other end. And I sort of get the vibe from New York that, like, in that sort of 80s to even to maybe like early 2000s period there was like a lovely era and then after that the investors and different people ruled in and mm-hmm. and people can't really survive there without um being you know a, as an artist anyway and i think that that belfast i think that there's like a bit of a confidence thing happening in belfast I mean, like the young ones the young musicians are really coming out very strong and confident and and rent is reasonably cheap um going out is reasonably cheap and I think in the next 10 years it's going to like have a nice wee golden period of a lot of good stuff coming out you know Deadly. whereas Dublin I think maybe is, is probably the opposite it's mm-hmm. it's you know I'd imagine a lot of your mates are probably moving out of Dublin is that right? Yeah I have to get a hotel every time I go back to Dublin now you know um, most of my friends hmm. don't live in town or I wouldn't really feel comfortable trying to bunk in on, on, you know, I, I feel like it's a bit cruel now because people are finding it so hard to even look for places or have somewhere where they have a space on their own. It's it's very rare now. Um, but yeah, I love that idea. There's always there's always ups and downs about that creativity, and it usually comes from I want to say boredom, which is not even a word, but usually <laughs> it usually comes out of necessity. You know, you're supposed to be in Ireland pretty much in the next couple of days, aren't you? Yeah, I should be leaving in a couple of days. Actually, I should have I should have ten dates behind me, um, which it's very. I mean, yeah. When, when I've never had a tour cancelled, I've played well over a thousand, probably into nearly twelve hundred gigs at this stage, and I've Jeez. only ever cancelled three. You're joking me. Yeah. So. I'm used to being on the road and funnily enough, I was asking for, in my head, I was asking for a little bit of a break because I would like time to just kind of chew the fat, uh, maybe pick up a different hobby, perhaps do some studying just so that I could have something else in in my well, something to write about, about a, a life experience or something like that. Because I felt, I felt a bit like I was on um, doing too many gigs and I wasn't stopping to, to, yeah, chew the fat, like I say. So, yeah, I should have been 10 gigs in, and, and I was really looking forward to it, obviously. Um, but now they're not there. But I've written a lot, so I can't complain. Um, but I do feel sorry for people that have, like, booked hotels or booked babysitters. They're yeah. <laughs> bought tickets. <laughs> Oh, that kind of thing that I don't I don't like when people get let down do you know 
three gigs you've only cancelled. What what are those were those three gigs? Now, I mean, are there mm. are there reasons that that we can talk about? <laughs> yeah, um, one of them was uh, well, there was a death in my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was uh, I don't remember where that was, but there was another one in Limerick um, that I was over. I was um, fatigued and I was getting I was getting a real bad cold. But I knew that if I just had one long good night's t- taking care of myself, that I would be able to see out the rest of the tour. I just had too many dates in a row and I was just totally fucked. And um, I, so I had to take that day off really begrudgingly. And uh, that was my second gig. The first gig I ever cancelled was um, many, many years ago, a good, a good 15 years ago. It was, I was supporting... Beth Orton in um, Somerset House, which would have been an unbelievable gig. Uh, but I it was the first time I ever went through uh, a stress period in my life. It was the first time I ever experienced stress and depression like, like that ever. It was the first and only time. And I just lost my voice. I never, just out of sheer worry and pressure, I, I lost my voice. I was... Um, I was after leaving my label and I was uh, after going through this kind of character assassination and then I lost my voice at a, isn't that mad? It just went, I, I just woke up and it was gone. Was it a self-character assassination or was it somebody else sort of assassinating your character? Oh, it was a bit of both, definitely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'd never been in that situation where my body uh, just stopped and shut down and um, wouldn't work for me. It was mad. Yeah, the body is like an unbelievable, yeah, I have a, I have a lyric about that in my new stuff, which is like the body is an indicator. And uh, it's really like that. If you don't listen to what's going on, it's going to tell you in an awful way, you know. Yeah, you must have been very good with your time and very focused from an early age, were you? Um, God, that's a good question. I never really thought about time, I suppose. Um, never carried a watch don't like being late for things um i generally am pretty good with time except for today when i asked could we <laughs> do an hour later so i could make dinner your your first album was spoons and that was or was it was it spoons or was there another yeah. one maybe like before that i had a i brought out an ep before that called branches untangle i think that was about 2006 and then spoons mm-hmm. was 2008 yeah I didn't even realise that, that Spoons was, just because I happened to just look at Wikipedia and I, I, the first wee bit of Wikipedia, I was like going, I don't even want to read this here, I want to get the crack with this girl. Mm-hmm. But um, but I didn't realise that you were signed even at that stage. I thought you were just buying, you know, doing it all yourself. Um, I did the I did the EP. Um, we set up our own publishing company and we set up our own um, record company just to own our material and... Uh, start from there because you know when we started with the EP in 2006 uh, zero interest was there all we knew is that we wanted to do it and we weren't um, we weren't taking any bites from people that you know uh, and then when the record came around, around uh, 2008 when I started to finish the record that's when um, I signed with Island Records and um, I had the first sign in 2008 uh, before the record was finished and that's when a load of different uh, people started coming into the bag and 
uh, into the into the arrangement. So we started off as like four people in the team and then all of a sudden we were involved in a large machine um, at, as 21-year-olds. It was like, all right, what? Yeah. <laughs> it was a... Is uh, it was every cliche that you can imagine. It was um, twenty one year old, and I thought that I was going to be the new hot shit, and I thought that I was going to be rich and famous, and uh, I developed a lovely, nice ego, and uh, yeah, you know, there was lots of very interesting things, uh, cruel things, cruel times, but um, beautiful times and there's not a single thing that I'd change about it I suppose I learned an awful lot along the way which I'm sure I'll tell you a little bit about shall I <laughs> <laughs> sit down there now <laughs> come I'm here to the I'll tell you that time that I gave a little no <laughs> well, I was in the back of a limo you you de- <laughs> whenever you say you developed an ego now I would imagine <laughs> that that maybe in your head it might be a, a bit of an ego but I can't imagine it being you know as bad as some oh <laughs> uh, I, a, I, I was it was fairly good. Do you know when you see little nuggets of like oof in a person, and then it, you begin to wonder does that amount to the real side of the person? And I gave off an, an awful lot of nuggets of huge ego that I that I realized oh I don't want to be this person, so I had to had to work that away. And one one thing that work, works that away is this feeling of uh, utter utter pressure and failure. That's a great thing to work a lot of shit away because yeah. you have to kind of start again. Um, so I would, I mean, if that's, that's one of the hardest times in my life and uh, I wouldn't take it back. You know, there's a lot of people who ha- couldn't wait for me to fail. And a, a huge part of me was expecting myself to fail as well. But I, I also didn't. So, uh, I mean, I suppose failure can be uh, in the same way as success is very hard to measure. You know, failure could be very hard to measure as well. But mm. but it's it's that you get that feeling that's just like, you know, uh, there's the wall. I will never get over this. Like, but, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you do and you end up still here. Um, so what, you know, is there anything that you would you would tell the 21 year old going in to sign that uh, deal? Like, you know, is there anything you would sort of just sort of say here? Um, I would, I would say probably work, work closer with the people, um, ask them why they say why they think that and ask them twice, three times why they were making decisions. Um, I think I took too many things for granted. They would decide they wanted to do something and I would say yes or no. And that was, that was it. I never really questioned um, I was either against it or I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so uh, a lot of the times I was against a lot of their their ideas because um, there there was um, shallow things such as uh, wanting me to dress a certain way, wanting me to sound a certain way. And they were um, tantamount to, to not be not knowing who I am or not knowing who I am. They wanted me to be here, all of this kind of strange things. Um, if I could go back, I, yeah, I'd say ask a load of questions. Um, take everything everybody says with a pinch of salt and relax the cacks and definitely write more. <laughs> R- write. 
Yeah. Cause, yeah, because what I did when I when that happened was uh, I kind of sat on my laurels and forgot to be creative. And then I ended up having to uh, write another record after the first record. And I was like, but I felt like a failure. So I didn't want to write. And then therefore I began to write from a failure point of view, which is mm-hmm. strenuous. And uh, but the second record was like, I'm really happy with the second record. Third record was better. Fourth record was a... Um, different stepping stone fifth record was much better last record much much better and i suppose i'm going to be around hopefully till i'm 100 so i think so when we're when uh, we're talking in twin like you know 20 records down the line yeah do you know i have to ask though how do you in the studio uh, capture that same energy that you do live um so the, in vocally and you know mm-hmm. There's a kind, there's, there's two ways to do it. And one of them is endless patience. And uh, the other way is first take. Um, Yeah. So to kind of get to know how I prefer to record and make it sound like it will as I'm live on stage. Um, That's what I'd like to do. Um, Mostly live on stage, it's usually a reduced thing. So uh, I'll try and keep this answer as short as possible. No, no, do not. <laughs> <laughs> Live is is usually anything goes, and the the way if it's not myself solo, then it's a band where everything is rearranged to kind of elevate a central instrument, which is the guitar and the vocal. And I haven't had a, a band for years. I just started with playing with a band just recently, and um, before. Before that, before I before I go to stage, I have to know a song well enough uh, that I would imagine I can play it on stage live at that moment, um, as I would when I'm bringing it to uh, record it in the studio. So that's one way just to play it over and over and over until it's played to death and I'm ready to go on stage with this song. And then that's when I should be going into the studio. And for two reasons that it just... It saves you a lot of uh, tinkering around and it saves you a lot of uh, bullshit editing and uh, it saves you money and time in studio. Um, and the other way to, that I get uh, try and get the essence out live is that um, you can you can spend so much time with frequencies. Um, it's re- what's really important to me is that that you put the heart into the frequential range of what you're recording you can say so much within the spectrum of what you're you're hearing um you can speak endless amount of energy and bounce and vibe and soul and effort and quality and abandon that's all to be listened to and to be heard and to be drawn out by spending time on getting the right sound for something um so if it takes you like two weeks to get the right uh, sound of rubbing paper in your hand, then do it. If that's something that is really going to bring out an essence of the song, then I would say that's where the it's all in the detail that way. So, and for me, what's important for me live is that all I have is everything to give. So I should really bring that into the studio as well. That's it, really. Brilliant. And even though, I mean, like, the, like the studio is such a, like it it gives nothing back you know mm. unless you've got maybe somebody really really good with your yeah, cans engine, or something yeah. like that you know but I mean but chances are it's just such a 
like a, a deadening experience unless of course you know like there's there, there's some there are some studios that I've found recently that I really just go back to the old time because they don't feel like studios mm-hmm. but um but somehow you managed to from the very beginning there was like the, the you managed to never um sort of uh, cut corners with the energy but yet there's like a uh a flawlessness to your performance though on the record and and as far as I've heard live as well. Ah, you're a dose. Oh, can I, you know. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, is that it? Uh, that must be something that you worked very hard on. Or I mean, uh, for me, I I can't practice because I as soon as I if I'm playing in a room on my own, I can't really practice. But I'll practice it in my head. Yeah. So that whenever I go out there, it's just like bang. Yeah, deadly. Is is it something like that? Maybe for yourself. There's a there's a lot of mental preparation and physical preparation. Um, like, uh, like you say, having the idea in your head is if you can if you can translate that onto tape. My God, I would love what you do. I would I, I would murder for that. Because <laughs> um, I'd have a, the symphony in my head, and then I go to tape, and then like you say, studio is merciless. You know. Yeah. Um. But in the in this yeah in the studio it's like I I wouldn't be able to do it without Marcus Voost the guy that I've been recording the records with, um, because he's the ears that I don't have you know and I'm the ears that he doesn't have, so mm-hmm. in in those ways we bounce off each other and we we try and hear it as we both hear it, and uh, he's he's Mister Detail and I'm Mrs. Like fuck it it'll be grand, <laughs> so we kind of learn a lot from each other that way, um. And is that just the last record or is that all, most of them? Oh, that's them all, yeah. I mean, oh, right. Yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, How did you fall in with him? I fell in with him through my manager, Peter Putz. Um, Peter Putz works with Liz Ridges. Riches, the two of them are, are my managers and they're just incredible people. And um, they just set, set me up with um, Marcus Voost, who was studying in the same college as my manager at the time. And he said, like, this guy seems really nice. He seems very talented. Why don't you just work on an EP? And like a week and a half later, we had our first EP and it was one of the most exhilarating experiences. And to this day, you know, I spend an any amount of time with that guy. It blows my mind. I say every, everything is a learning curve with that guy. He's always pushing himself further and he's always teaching and he's a gentleman. Is he based in Berlin as well? No, he's based in a, in a studio called Sandhausen, um, down in Sandhausen, I should say. The studio is called uh, Alta Zigarrenfabrik and Kleine Audiowelt. It's a couple of different studios in one. And um, uh, it's down near Heidelberg, near Mannheim. Hmm. Um, you asked me a lovely question there when you get the symphony in your head that you're able to do it. Oh, yeah, I should. Yeah, that was it. Um, sorry to... You're grand, you're grand. Um, I did have a lot of, like I started recording at a very, very young age. I had a, I had a love for it. Like I started when I was six recording with my brother with the, with the radio, uh-huh. press record on the radio. And then I started making tapes for my friends that I'd sit down and I'd, and I'd play with whatever I could with the radio and I'd start to, um, I played around with that and I did that, uh, what is it? Daniel Johnston, he used to record the same album over and over again. He didn't yeah. realize you can duplicate it, so he used to record the same album. And I did, well, not the same thing, but I would record. Somebody would say, will you make me a tape of your songs? And then i sit down and do that. And then um, 
and then I bought my first four track when I was 10. Um, I went to the studio for the first time when I was 12 and that's when I saw computers on screen. It wasn't tape anymore. Um, so I've been going recording, very interested in recording and production since before I even knew what it was. Uh, so it was just always there. But um, that's why I just enjoy it because I, you get paid to go record. It's like, that's my job. I spend all day, every day doing this and having the crack. Because if it's, if it's too serious, I, it, I, I tend to move forward. And if it's good crack, then I tend to move forward better. Yeah. Well, you were saying there that, um, that you, you've been writing this last um, you know, week or so and you're in quarantine. At what stage do you um take it physically on your own do you do you sort of try and demo it to i mean you you're, a lot of your records i mean the instruments are so precise are you are you arranging almost every note or are you you know as in like writing it or scoring it and um so that whenever it all comes into the studio it's just like boom bang there it is mm-hmm. how far are you going on your own at the minute it will be full production demos before i decide to bring any uh, other musicians in so there would be um Guitars, pianos, synths, vocals, back and vocals, um, pretty much everything. Uh, drums are written, bass is recorded. Um, it's just I'm not a good drummer, so I usually tend to get a, a drummer in for that. But it's all pre-written, you know. Um, if it's not recorded, it's already pre-written. And uh, if the recording that I do itself could be better, then we usually take it to the studio and do it together but at, uh, these days in the last two records um, it's anything up to um, nearly 70% just recorded at home because it just makes the most sense uh, it's the quickest way to creativity um, just starting off and doing as much as I can on my own I've got good gear good space good I like you know good time so I mean you can only make mistakes but that's the beauty of it really like yeah exactly no, I mean it it it's so dynamic. So, but I suppose that's your voice in the end, is it? Um, yeah, like I, I feel like I have a bunch of different personalities within me, um, like healthily. Uh, Class. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I feel like everything in this world, especially stuff that I love, like my instruments and my gear, I love it to death. And it, they all have a personality. Even if it's digital, it still has a personality, you know. Um all my instruments have names because they have very strong personalities, you know. I'm, Brilliant. And there's nothing to me that doesn't have a soul on this earth. There's nothing inanimate. So um, if I pick up an instrument, it's waiting to tell me a story rather than me want, me just playing it. This, It's almost as if I'm just um, a kind of a lump of meat for the, for the instrument, you know. And uh, I'll get very... I, I tend to not lean towards the same thing twice because it's always there's always something interesting and some newness. I, I get very bored of um, repeating myself and I try not to repeat myself and I like to, I feel like there's too much in this world to learn if I, you know, for me to just keep going back to the same feelings in instruments and stuff like that. And also, like... Uh, th- there's a never-ending story with instruments and your voice and uh, 
and your abilities. It's always a learning curve. So um, I just find it all very intriguing. Sure, it's like yourself. I mean, you'll never get you'll never get bored of music. It runs in your blood like. It is yeah. you. Yeah. You're you're just sort of you're cooped up at the minute, are you? I'm in a tiny little a tiny little cabin that I built for myself. I have a lovely studio room, but it's it feels a bit too what's the word? It's too open. And I yeah. my studio has the one of the walls is just a window. So it's and it's looking out into the city and the city can look straight into me. So it always feels a bit like, oh, I'm being watched. So I've built myself this tiny, like 1.5 meter squared vocal booth. And I spend all my time in here. It's completely covered. Like I'm in this tiny, the smallest room in the whole house. And I love it. I, I found, I actually found in my first two albums, I was going out and singing. And even, a, even my own stuff at gigs, my voice was just like, you know, banging off the walls. And yet I would go home and write these albums, these really soft albums. Mm. And uh, and I realised whenever I moved here to the country and I've, I've sort of converted the, the wee garage here into a bit of a studio and then the next album was just like, ah! <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, because it was writing songs with mm-hmm. knowing that there was somebody here at the other side of this wall and somebody on the other side of the floor. So like, oh, yeah. my songs were like time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's exactly what I, that's exactly the thing that you should, you should have done in times like set up your garage, scream your fucking head off. That's, man, it's so important to have your own space to be able to do that really, isn't I'm like really interested about this idea of like houses in Belfast are really strongly built. That's what I feel. I feel like they're really well built. You know, they're they've they've got an enormous amount of concrete between walls and stuff like you know this these old Victorian and Georgian mm-hmm. and they're really well built houses. And um, I remember living in so many different crappily built houses all over Ireland and just being like, I'm so embarrassed in case somebody can hear me. But I remember that in Belfast, I was like, geez, they're fine, sturdy houses. You could sing your head off in them. Uh, and it really would make a difference to creativity. Like there's um, a couple of records that I'm like, I fucking know well that they were in a house where they had to be quiet. And then I looked at an interview later on and like, yeah, I lived in this house where the walls were paper thin. I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> you didn't have your space and now uh, I'm like to me really marking out carving out a space for creativity is unbelievably important even if it's a tiny tiny little nook cranny where you cover yourself in blankets you have to be able to be yourself and go out and just create have you uh, rescheduled any of the gigs yet uh, yeah they're getting some of them are getting rescheduled right now but um, the feeling is um, to pencil rather than to yeah. hard book. Um, we have the feeling, myself and my group, or, or, uh, my group over here, we have the feeling that certainly in, in this country, in Germany, there's not going to be much of, a, much of a much happening until early next year. Uh-huh. Yeah, we think like... It, we reckon that there won't be bands. There's friends of ours that are rebooking whole tours for August. And as much as we would like to, and as much as we actually have to, um, we're only just penciling at the moment. Um, 
it's changing every day. So I guess, you know, it right now it's in such a limbo that um, we're literally just picking up the pieces right now and expecting it to be like this for at least two months. Um, so there's a lot of uh, grant applications and um, ideas how to, you know, pre-finance and take care of ourselves for the next while. Um, so that's it's all very logistic, logistical things happening at the moment. But in terms of trying to organize gigs, like I, I if even in, even though I will have a tour, I'm sure organized by maybe October. I'm not even sure if it will go ahead and I'm kind of preparing that nothing will be normal until early next year. I, I prefer to be a, a pessimist in this situation because then any 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 good news aside from that is a bonus. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes I would find that if during the week, a normal week, that I'm sort of building up a, like a stress or something like that, as soon as I start singing, it feels like, oh... Of course, I forgot. I've been I've been forgetting to breathe properly this last <laughs> week. It's almost like singing has got a, a natural sort of. It's it's very therapeutic, you know, in terms yeah. of the way it, it. Like I breathe right from the bottom of my stomach. How do you get over that? Um, certainly, I I was my body was preparing for the the extensive touring that I was going to do and the extensive drinking that I was going to do. <laughs> so I was prepared for that. So um, I started kind of. Um, working out I wouldn't call it hefty working out but basic like cardio work and um, since since the concerts are cancelled I'm like oh I've got all of this excessive energy and I wake up at four in the morning and be like right let's gig Um, (laughs) or you know I should be out dancing or something and so there's this excessive energy which I have to work off so uh, I'm taking these really extremely fast walks every day um, where I just, you know, two meters away from everybody and I'm just like powering around like a crazy person. Um, so that's one thing. And the other the other thing that I do to to really try and relax in this time right now is I'm doing a lot of crosswords and I'm doing a lot of joking and a lot of laughing and a lot of music. I'm listening to a lot of music and I'm switching in on um, I actually told do you know when the whole when we were put into quarantine we were told to lock down it was like okay hmm. I, I I didn't know what to do I just went quiet for a couple of days and um, I, I sat in this cubby hole that I'm talking to you from and um, I just turned off everything for the first couple of days and then after that I started to tune in and see what the world was doing I started to click on to the live concerts and it's just a lot of people acting balubas at the more at the moment. It's so exciting because it's artists gone into fucking overdrive. We're like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing now, you know. So I better be better be doing something. And um, it's just bringing out this utter madness, this utter real pure crack madness in people. I'm digging it. It's so good, like. Um, I'm going to be part of it you know we're going to see some real creativity come out uh, and I, a friend of mine uh, wrote this the other day she she said that we're the f- uh, musicians we're the first to be affected we're the first to have to close down and we'll be the last ones to open back up again so you better find a way to entertain yourself in the meantime and it was yeah. like oh 
Oh, shit. <laughs> so I kind of taken that as Bible now, really. I'm just don't know what's going to happen. Um, really have no idea, to be honest. Don't 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 know. Just have to stay um, looking for the positive, really. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh shit! How long have we been talking? Just actually near enough for good hour. Well, minus the ten minutes at the start that we're useless anyway. <laughs> There's nothing useless about chit chat. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw the the Dolly Parton with, with oh, Connor. Yeah. Um, what else? What other madness have you been up to? I recorded an acoustic version of my last record. Um, I started writing with a guy called Lucas Herweg. Um, we we were supposed to be in the studio together, and because we couldn't, we just exchanged uh, remotely. So I just kind of brought a bottle of wine into the studio, and he'd send me beats, and I'd send back like whatever I could throw onto a song. Um, and aside from that, there's been you know. A lot of cooking. A lot of nice <laughs> cooking. Good shit. Oh my God. I've never eaten so well in my fucking life. <laughs> I'm really feeling the benefits of that. And uh, I've been contacting my family and friends a lot. Isn't it wonderful? These little yeah. nuggets of greatness that come out from a crisis. You know, yeah. life starts to get perspective and small things fade away. I'm not, um, I I was never into Shakespeare because it was too flowery for me. Mm. I couldn't, I'd be way more into like Roald Dahl and the Twits. Yep. And I was always, whenever I lived somewhere, I always lived in the grotty part of town. Um, Like my parents are, they... They, the education that they gave themselves is like endless amount of books and endless amount of reading and um, but they lived we owned a pub and you just see no bullshit I, I just don't I prefer to just I don't know yeah I, I, yeah I don't like psychoanalytical talk and I find it beautiful I find it very it's beautiful but it's it wouldn't be for me in a conversation you know I couldn't, I feel like I'm being talked over or something like that. I prefer to just have a, have an open conversation and do everything that way. Because it cuts a lot of, cuts a lot of bullshit out. Um, Would that be in the same as music that you listen to and music that you, that you create yourself? Aha, see this, the thing, Mm -hmm. the music that I listen to wouldn't often reflect on the music that I write actually. So... I listen to a lot of dance music. Oh. Yeah, because um, there's no lyrics oftentimes. So nobody's telling me what I should be thinking or feeling. Um, I love dance music because it's tribal. Um, and I started to get into classical music in a big way. Because um, <clears throat> same thing, it's just emotion in, in instruments and a story in 
I might never know what the story of the song is or even the name of the song, but I listen to it wholeheartedly. And um, I listen to a lot of kind of aggressive music um, and the stuff I write can be oftentimes admittedly like super twee, but that stuff, I just can't help it. Um, what if you say aggressive, like uh, like the the mu- like rock or heavy rock or something like that? There, yeah, like I mean, I, I'd listen to a lot of noise punk. Um, I I used to really love love all of that. Uh, I suppose in later years, I kind of moved away from it. Um, I love noise music, and uh, I listen to like NASA sounds and that's usually really can be quite atonal and uncomfortable and um i i love um well i mean i always loved bit of punk but um i used to listen to a lot of angry angry people music like um well tori amos i used to listen to her when i was like eight or nine and i avidly and as an mm-hmm. eight or nine year old girl listening to a woman sing about, you know, her pain uh, mm-hmm. of abuse and tough story to begin with and to be to be, begin her life so publicly. Jesus, can you imagine being that famous talking, singing about the songs you're singing about? Yeah. And and people, of course, like uh, a lot of her songs are about rape and abuse and sexual and physical mental abuse um, in the early days. And so can you imagine like becoming extremely famous and having to share those songs all the time? She's an amazing performer and she loved doing it. So she got a kick out of it herself, of course. But um, dealing with the the kind of fans as well, because they would have been devotional airing on the on the side of like Mm -hmm. uh, stalkerish, you know. Yeah. And yeah. that that in itself would be another kind of scary part of an already kind of tumultuous life, you know, a little bit. Oh, how the fuck does she deal with that? Like, yeah. Well, I was doing, uh, I did three concerts uh, with the orchestra with the Woman's Heart with Maura O'Connell. Right. Mm, and um, she came over to do a couple of concerts with us for um, A Woman's Heart recently. Well, like, Maura O'Connell is, like, pretty much retired, she'd say. Like, mm. So, I mean, like, she, she's not going to go out and sing, you know, with any old, you know, people. Like, Oh, my so, God. I mean, it was unbelievable having her there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She had to be dragged out of retirement. So she did. She says it herself. She's in very happy retirement in Nashville. Yeah. And, uh, sorry. I didn't let you finish what you were saying. No, no, that's that's pretty much it. I want to hear all about it. Go well, for it. It's everything you hope it would be and more. Like, um, she's such a formidable woman. Um, so hilarious, so sweet, so enigmatic, and she has this aura about her that um you know when she's in the room. Um yeah. she just ingratiates everybody. She's the only person that I know. She walked into the room and everybody applauded. 
It was fucking hilarious, man. I was like, more O'Connell, everybody. Um, we were we were having drinks in the in the hotel across from the um, from the concert hall, and uh, she'd come in from uh, her hotel room, and we'd be all sitting there with pints in front of us, and uh, she'd just walk through the bar, and everybody just fucking like stood up out of their chair and clapped their hands and stuff. It was really like, oh, I want to be Maura. And then, uh, she's really young at heart. She's kind of a timeless woman. Um, and just her voice, her voice never faltered. She sounded exactly as she always did. And um, mm-hmm. that was that was very, very exciting. It was it, that was a real thing for me because I'd done a couple of gigs where it was a thing for me where I went, never, ever, ever lose your voice. My father always told me, never, ever lose lose your puff, he calls it. Because oh. that's the worst thing that can happen to you as a musician, as a singer. Don't ever lose your puff. And so I work hard to try and not do that. And then when, I, when Maura O'Connell opened her mouth for the first time, I was just like, ah, oh, it's exactly why. You know, because there's so much history and so much story in somebody's in somebody's voice and not just that in her personality. So I could talk all day about that woman. She's she was so exciting to be around. Um fancy the arse off her, of course. And <laughs> but she knows that. And uh actually she gave me this bracelet that I'm wearing. Oh lovely. Yeah, she gave myself and Eleanor bracelets and it's just beautiful. But Jerry was playing the guitar for her and I um I remember he gave me his guitar. And I picked it up and I, oh, I'm not joking, I was brought to tears because the tuning that he had on his guitar and the feeling of the guitar, it was still warm from him playing it. And the feeling as I held it in my chest and I played through the, through the first chords, I realized that this instrument is, in a, a, is a close friend of his. And that I've never had that feeling when I picked up my guitars. I always really mm. enjoy it, but not in this way. And I realized hmm. that's that's an additional connection that I had to make with my guitar that I have to pick it up and be like, yeah, that's the way he had it set up and the way it felt in my hands was just a, a whole different, different thing. Hmm. It was like it was like nothing else. Yeah, it was really special. But you can tell him that definitely it was one of my favorite albums last year. <laughs> Deadly. I'll tell so, him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For the woman's heart thing, were you um in in a new role or were you covering some of the older stuff? Uh, what I'm assuming Eleanor's choice for having herself, myself and Maura was having three different styles of women reflecting their record and reflecting what the record means to people my age and younger. And um, mm-hmm. so I was definitely the, the I suppose the the a newer, a newer period. Uh, and yeah, we did, we did uh, quite a, f- we did like 22 songs in all, three people. Um, I did, Eleanor asked me to pick out eight songs and I actually picked out like six from the record because I grew up with that. Yeah. And I was course. like, fuck it, I want to play all of these songs. We have a, we have an orchestra, I want to do that. And she was like, you really don't have to, all you have to do is three of, three from the record and the rest you can do yourself. And I kind of compromised and I was doing, um, I can't remember, I was doing, I think, equal amounts. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I would have done, I would have done the whole record. I'm a big fan of that record. I think that that changed Ireland in a multitude of way, multitude of ways. I think it put um, women's rights on the map, and I, put, I think it made um, a change gender roles. And I remember that. Um, I remember that things like um, domestic violence was called to question, and uh, women's sexuality. Uh, was brought to the forefront and lots and lots of lovely changes came out because of that record because it was like a vibrant, new, fresh, female-centric, mm-hmm. uh, super successful, powerful voice coming from Ireland. So I was like, fuck this record's amazing. I'll do anything for this record. Like, mm-hmm. I don't... Like you said there, Maura wouldn't do nothing for just anybody. I definitely... I, I'm lucky enough that I don't have to do what I don't want to do anymore. Like, I think every anybody who's ever asked me to do something, like, just don't bother asking her because, you know, or whatever. But I really just do things that I like to do now. And um, doing something like that, a woman's heart, people are like, aren't, aren't you a bit young for that or something? And I'm like, no, nah, fuck you. <laughs> that record means so much to me and it means so much to so many people. And being out there every night looking out into an audience of all ages and yeah. um, seeing people like there was people on a Scott they'd, they'd stand up in the middle and not they'd stand up in the middle of the song and they'd be openly crying their eyes out clapping their hands you know and I was like that that shit just doesn't yeah tell me when you saw that last you know yeah so there's a as you raw say the, the, the record the record just meant more than just music to so many people like whenever mm. it came out Mm. And that's them sort of just almost like just just reliving that and showing that appreciation. Yeah. But um but that must be that must be a lovely feeling. Like, Something else, yeah. Life uh life affirming feeling. That's just, that wouldn't you love to write a song like that, one of the most emotional songs in the world where pe- you draw somebody to fucking tears. Like that's when you that's the success in life. Being yeah. happy with something you've done and bringing out anything like that, even in yourself, simply making yourself cry. That's what the success is. None of this yeah. monetary thing. Would you tell that to the 21-year-old? Uh, she'd Stand really need to hear that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She'd need a good kick up the hole to hear that. <laughs> you hear it when you want to, don't you? Yeah. Well, here, Wallace Bird, thank you so much for, um, for uh, joining me this evening. Thank you so and, much, uh, Matt. You give me a wee call any time. All right, pal. And uh, I look forward to hearing the next... Four episode. in the morning, Balubas. <laughs> You'll be sorry you said that. Lovely chatting to you, loving. See you later, pal. Bye. And so endeth another episode of See You at Yours with myself, Matt McGinn. I hope you enjoyed it, folks. Wallace Bird, isn't she just lovely? She's a class act and a serious talent. Her music is fantastic, and if you ever get a chance to go see her live, make sure and do so, because her energy is just amazing. Also, Cocoons on Facebook, check it out, check out the group, because we come live every Saturday through Facebook Live with some incredible artists from all over the world. And then go on to the website, mattmcginnmusic.com, subscribe, get yourself a free copy of Live at the Atlantic Sessions, go to hannahats.com, get yourself a hat, and after all of that, I want to see you back here to like and subscribe 
and give it a good rating give this podcast a good rating let's share it out to the world and all of the fantastic Irish artists that have been on it so folks be safe enjoy yourselves enjoy the lockdown if you can and we'll see you next time we'll see you cheers thank you